You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Extra Sub here, excited to be joined by AJ Chidiguta. is here, 2019, a current fellow from NLC Detroit. She's going to give us a preview of her upcoming NLC Spark Talk at convention in Iowa. Let's hear what she's got cooking up. Let's get to it. All right, AJ, I'm always curious to talk to current fellows. That's why you're almost a actual alumni now the institute's almost over but how did you hear about nlc in the first place um i heard about nlc through um a friend uh that i went out from my high school who was a former fellow and she was posting a lot of nlc initiatives uh around the midterm elections Mm. and so that's how i found out about it and i got very curious and then what is the kind of makeup and tenor of the detroit group is it a lot of political folks is it a good mix of nonprofit people or or like food justice people like what's the kind of splits of, of, of how folks uh, got to the program itself uh, I think Detroit is actually a very uh, our cohort is and is a very very diverse cohort and um, it truly added to just the richness of the experience for me uh, we have a lot of educators we do have a mm. A few folks who are in government and, you know, policy analysis, um, so on and so forth, and people working in student affairs and entrepreneurs as well. So it's a really, really good mix. Yeah, I like it. Well, listen, give us a preview of your Spark Talk. And for those that don't know, Spark Talks are a little bit um, like a high energy TED Talk that are that's done at convention, which is coming up in about six, seven weeks or so in Iowa. Uh, but yeah, you were selected to do one. So give folks uh, a preview of what's going to happen. Well, so my Spark Talk is uh, called Invisible Disabilities and Health and Inclusion. Uh, and uh, so in my Spark Talk, I'm going to be essentially making the invisible visible. Uh, there are, we know that there are, about, there are about a third of, uh, there's about a third of the U.S. population that has disabilities or suffers from chronic illnesses, and about 96% of all of these folks, uh, their conditions are invisible. And so it's, uh, and some of, and many of these are neurological conditions, which are hard to recognize even within the medical community. So then the question is, well, okay, how do we address the needs of these people in terms of the accommodations they need and how do we include them to where they can belong in their spaces and thrive? Because they're still extremely talented and, and you know, extremely skilled, but and so we definitely don't hold them back, but because of the invisible nature of their conditions, we don't even know right now. So how do we know what we don't know? That's the point of my, um, that's sort of the starting point of my Spark Talk. Yeah. And then this is a very personal topic for you, correct? Yes, it is a very personal topic for me. Uh, I'm a two-time traumatic brain injury survivor. And uh, the second time I actually died. And when I (laughs) back, yeah, when I came, uh, when I uh, was brought back, uh, I was in graduate school. And so you know, graduate school, uh, grad school insurance is like a step above no insurance. Mm. So there was uh, nothing given to me in terms of um, accommodations, recovery, rehab, none of that. So I essentially had to rebuild myself on my own, living on my own, you know, out in Hawaii. And then how is your 
evolution about how you talk about those experiences changed, you know, because you're going to be on stage talking in front of a lot of people about a very personal experience. Was that always the case? Did you feel like talking about it um, shortly after these experiences happened? Was that helpful for you or is that something that took a long time for you to get to that point? Gosh, no. Um, so it's been 10 years uh, since uh, my second uh, brain injury. And the first time um, after my first brain injury, they I had a concussion and they weren't even classified as TBIs. So I didn't actually even know what was wrong with me. I thought there was actually something wrong with me, like my personality, mm. not that there was a medical problem. And then the second time, because of the severity of everything that happened, I really wasn't um, comfortable talking about it because I didn't know myself. Uh, so it's taken me 10 years. And this year, uh, 2019, uh, I started off the year being very intentional about making the invisible visible, which is uh, why I joined the fellowship and why I'm you know, seeking every opportunity that I can to educate um, and raise awareness on this issue. And my ultimate goal is to not only destigmatize conversations about, you know, mental health, but also to take mental health from the position of an outcome, which it is in right now, to making it the foundation for every healthy organization. And then uh, on, on these uh, outcomes you mentioned and talking about mental health in, in general, you know, what ways has being a person of color in, informed how you've interacted with this uh, topic? Uh, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, the TBI, the tra traumatic brain injury survivor population already hears a lot of oh, it's all in your head, take some Tylenol, you know, I get migraines too, Jeez. oh yeah, I forget things too, you know, and these are normal parts of conversations that we hear about every single day, and those are microaggressions, and so when you, when you add those microaggressions to what I hear as a woman of color and as an immigrant, it really, really mm -hmm. does compound, and, you know, so there are a lot of times when I feel like, I have to do like 250% to be heard 100%. And uh, it is extremely exhausting. But at the same time, when there is so much value that can be added by having these conversations and by pushing back on these very, you know, mainstream normalized um, microaggressions, uh, it creates a lot of meaning and it creates a lot of depth that, was previously missing. So I think that's what gives me the energy to keep going. And then I'm sure once you started talking about this more publicly and, and rooting a lot of your, your work in, in, in trying to help other people, you probably had a lot of interesting conversations and met a lot of interesting folks. Does anyone stand out as uh, someone that you're really glad that you had an opportunity to meet because you started uh, being a little bit more uh, public about this experience? Um. I have met, uh, you know, the, the, the part that really warms my heart is I've met, uh, I gave a keynote at Wright State University mm -hmm. on the power of resilience and unlocking your true potential. And it was for a women of color leadership development summit. And that entire group just, I think, will always truly, truly stand out in my mind. And they will be so dear to me because, um, I was, you know, I felt like I was just talking to 
people who really understood me. Uh, and I know my talk resonated with them as well because so many of us connected after that talk. So many of them connected with me after that talk and said, wow, um, we never thought someone would get to the, to, the, to the depth and the level that you do. And you just came out and said everything that was on our mind that we were struggling with. And we, I didn't know that was possible. So um, I don't want to name names, yeah. you know, to maintain confidentiality, but that group is, um, I think that group is just magic in my, in my mind. In Great. My when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about NLC Life in Detroit, a little bit more about upcoming convention. You're listening to this episode of The Zag. Stay tuned. Yeah, what do you feel like people misunderstand about Detroit? I feel like there's always a lot of talk, but maybe not a lot of accuracy. Um, you know, so I am a Michigander, but I'm not a Detroiter. Hmm. So I'm not sure if I'm 100% qualified <laughs> to answer that from a Detroiter's perspective. I will say this, being a Michigander, and that's um, Detroit really is the, the heart and soul of Michigan. And for me, um, moving Detroit towards a more progressive and inclusive environment for the people living there is the key to prosperity in Michigan overall. Um, and I don't know to what extent other non-Detroiters feel that way uh, yet. Um, because I haven't actually had sustainable, like sustained conversations about this, but that's something that I believe deeply in my heart is that if we take care of, you know, if we, and it's not even us taking care of Detroit, if we can help Detroit take care of itself, because to me, Detroit is so strong and so resilient and, and just so brilliant in its energy and its culture and um, everything about it, that if we can support Detroit in taking care of itself, we would move the entire state towards more inclusion and more progressive reform. And do you feel like it's still a place that's drawing a lot of folks who aren't from there? And I feel like there was a certain point, maybe in the last five to seven years, where lots of energy and enthusiasm was present for folks moving to Detroit and trying to do some creative mm -hmm. things. You know, I think you see a little bit of that sometimes. Uh, I guess another example would be like New Orleans. A lot of people went to New Orleans after Katrina and, and tried to, to offer some, some energy and some, some new thinking there for better or worse. Do you still feel like that's true in, in Detroit and there's folks coming in or do you feel like it's settled in a way more that the folks that are there now are really going to try to make the biggest change possible? Um, you know, I think when, when talking about Detroit, it's always important to look at the reality of the gentrification that is happening uh, with uprooting existing communities to bring in um, this new energy that you're talking about. Um, and so that's, I, I feel like, you know, that's a, it's, it is a very sensitive topic and it's also a very controversial topic. Mm. And uh, my, I guess my question that I'm deeply curious about and, uh, you know, in that whole push is what, what are we doing to help the local communities without uprooting them? Like, why do we have to uproot local communities in order to make space for something new 
why can't we work with what's already there without, you know, uprooting? And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that, you know, if, if that's an answerable question um, because there's so many facets to it and it, it is a complicated issue. But, you know, when you look at it from one angle, it really is people that have lived there for generations not being able to um, survive in their own communities anymore because they're being priced out. And at the root of it, that's fundamentally unfair. So what are we doing to address that? Yeah. Hey, let's close with a couple of quick questions on the Spark Talk. Do you get really nervous when you have to speak in front of large groups? And it's funny. Um, I actually don't remember a single one of my presentations I've ever given. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, as soon as it's like, as soon as that, you know, switch goes off, I just go in the zone and then I come out and it's, and then I hear the clapping at the end and I'm like, oh, it's done. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's nerves or if that's just me, like, you know, going with the flow. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go with the flow. <laughs> I like it. And then for those that haven't seen one, in addition to the actual speaking of the words, there's accompanying slides that go with it and you're kind of timing your words to the slides. Do you have a strategy or a, a kind of design aesthetic that you feel like makes most sense for your slides itself? Um, just, I think, um, I think keeping the words uh, to under 30 per slide if possible uh, and just mm -hmm. continuing to tell the story. Um, at the end of the day, like, you know, the story does have an arc and the slides do show that arc. So even if the pace does get a little mismatched, um, that's totally okay because you are there to tell your story and you're there to represent uh, your truth. And that's going to be reflected in your talk and in the slides, even if the pace does get mismatched. So just go with it. Nice. Well, that's a good way to end. Well, listen, I'm excited to hear it live and in person in Iowa in a couple of weeks. Thanks for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can download all past episodes, and there's a lot, over 130 or so, of great alums, both here in L.A. and across the country, talking about all things progressive. Get those at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places where you're listening to podcasts these days. And until next time, we'll catch you soon. <laughs>